Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Kids are famous for asking why. You know, why is the sky blue? Why is our car blue? Why is my finger blue? Why is her hair blue? Which reminds us that there are some questions we just can't answer. But asking why is a critical way that kids figure out the world. They learn how stuff works. They maybe even come to understand things that you and I take for granted. Well, for the last two weeks, we've been exploring our mission as the Erickson Covenant Church. We help people find and follow Jesus. I hope that you've had a chance to hear those messages because now we're moving on to a critical foundational peace. It's been a way for us to refocus and renew our purpose as followers of Jesus, which certainly applies to us organizationally as a church and informs what we do. But more importantly, it's what drives us personally as the church. Helping people find and follow Jesus is the way that Jesus calls us to live 24-7, whether we're in our homes with our own kids whether we're in the workplace or school, in businesses, on our streets, on our farms, we help people find and follow Jesus. But why? Why? Why do we help people find and follow Jesus? That's a critical question. First, let's just Put aside some of the reasons we don't, some of the not wise. We don't help people find and follow Jesus so that they will join our religion. We don't do it because we think that we're superior or elite or smarter or we've got it all together. We don't help people find and follow Jesus to prove that we're right and they're wrong. We don't do it for political or personal gain. We don't help people find and follow Jesus so they start looking more like us and make us feel a little more comfortable. Why do we help people find and follow Jesus? I'm going to come right to the point today. Because it is only through Jesus that people will truly flourish as God intends only through Jesus. Following Jesus leads to human and creational flourishing. This week I went for a run with Candy Hushcroft. Candy Hushcroft is a friend of mine, a friend of many of yours. She's a holistic nutritionist now and a life coach. And she wanted to go for a run so she could pick my brain on some different things. And we spent the hour chatting mostly about making good choices that lead to greater health, greater health relationally, 
uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And, of course, me as a pastor, her as a coach, we talked about how we then help other people do that as well. And I shared with her some of what we've been doing here at the Erickson Covenant Church. I, I talked to her about how we've been encouraging each other to develop a rule of life where we look at the rhythms and the relationships that really matter and make sure they're showing up in our schedule, showing up in our month. I told her how I've been encouraging you to pursue spiritual friendships and how so many of you are doing just that, where you're meeting with someone monthly to discuss your walk with Jesus. And, and I've also been uh, also talked to her how we've been encouraging intentional spiritual formation practices. And of course, Candy shared some of the work that she's been doing in helping people make solid nutritional choices, get people moving physically, um, just pursuing health as well. It was a really invigorating conversation. I really enjoyed it. If Candy's listening, I really had a great time. But the more we fleshed out the conversation, uh, the more it became obvious that everything we were really talking about, everything we were imagining and even hoping for, could be captured under this beautiful word, flourishing. And so, of course, this has been on my mind as I've been preparing these messages. I've been thinking about this over this last year. And so I just said it out loud. I said, you know, Candy, we're talking about flourishing. What we want to see is people flourishing in all aspects of their lives, spiritual, relational, emotional, mental, physical. And she loved that. She said, yes, that's exactly it, flourishing. We want people to flourish. That is what we want. And it's why we do what we do. It's why we pursue what we pursue. It's why we help people find the God who loves them, who's generous to them, who's so close to them, who's been seeking after them. It's why we help each other follow Jesus. It's why we walk and talk and encourage and empower. It's why we respond and restore. We want people to flourish. I want you to flourish as God intended you to flourish. I want you to flourish in Jesus. That's where we're going today. Let's just say a brief prayer before we go on. Lord Jesus, today, would you help us catch a vision for flourishing? Help us to see how it is only through you that we and your world can flourish. Guide us now by your spirit. Amen. Well, would you come with me today on a scripture journey? I do encourage you to grab a Bible physically on your phone. You even can watch it if you're watching this in, while it's coming through the Church Online platform. Down in the box, the chat box, there's a Bible option. And you can select that and, and read the Bible along there as well. So there's many ways, but I do encourage that. Um, open up in the second window, whatever. We're going to go through quite a bit of scripture today. I invite you on this journey with me. I want to introduce you to a really evocative image of flourishing. It emerges right out of the grand arc of Scripture. We start way back in the opening of the story in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 and through to 14 sounds like this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, 
And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. There's a lot of images of flourishing in here, right in this opening story. But the one I want you to hear today is the one we often skip over as an odd bit of ancient geographical trivia. The river that flows from Eden. From the amazing garden that God grew in which he placed his newly breathed human image surrounded by these epic trees flows a grand river a river that was the source of life and goodness for all the land around. Now, in our day, we know the power and the importance of our watersheds, don't we? And how we must seek to protect and preserve our watersheds because as goes the watershed, so goes the land through which they flow. And what we have here is this beautiful image of a watershed from Eden the watershed of Eden, and how this river flowed out and contributed to the flourishing of God's creation. Now, with one finger right here in Genesis chapter 2, at the very start, I want you to trace your way all the way to the back of the story, the very last chapter, okay? So we're starting with one, we go right to the end. And I want you to listen to these words from Revelation chapter 22, and see what you pick up. Starting with verse 1. The angel showed me, that's the apostle John, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit, every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Did you catch that? A grand river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of this magnificent city. A city that, just side note, if you've been reading along in Revelation, it has just been described in magnificent detail, just in Revelation chapter 1. It's described as a city that came down from heaven dressed like a beautiful bride. It, in fact, represents the flourishing people of God. It has gates named for the 12 tribes of Israel, and its gemstone foundations were named for the 12 apostles. A very symbolic, very beautiful, very incredible city. Well, that's a city, but back to the river. It's flowing down from the throne of God, down the street, and all along the river is growing the tree of life, which turns out to be more like a grove of fruit trees planted all along the sides of this river and bearing all kinds of fruit all 
year long. Talk about creational flourishing. And even its leaves offer global, national, ethnic healing. That's human flourishing. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, intends us to make this river-flowing connection. That this river that flows with life and power represents the true flourishing that God intended for people and for planet as new creation comes. So you're with me so far? The front and the back, Genesis to Revelation. You've got your fingers in both ends of the book. And we can feel the power of this rushing river between them. This flowing river is a powerful image of flourishing. But we aren't done. So can you now, with this in mind, kind of swim back up the river with me to a great prophetic vision? We're going to jump to Ezekiel. Probably not a book that you spend a lot of time in, but one of the great prophetic books. One of the big guys. And it's filled with these amazing images and dreams and visions. Ezekiel was a priestly prophet. He was a son of a priest who was called into prophetic ministry he, he was there through the tragic downfall of Jerusalem and their exile into Babylon. And while much of Ezekiel's earlier writings featured warnings of judgment that was coming, he was trying to get the attention of God's people so they would repent and turn. After they were in Babylon, Jerusalem had fallen, the temple was gone. His writings then took on a tone of hope and was filled with images of restoration and promise of the renewal that God would bring. Well, in Ezekiel 40 to 48, this, he offers a, a long vision which is featuring a restored temple and priesthood and sacrifices and city. And he narrates it with exceedingly detailed information and measurements, uh, gate by gate, wall by wall. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's actually easy to get lost in it. But remember, at this point, the city and temple had been destroyed, and this would have just echoed so deeply with the people who were receiving this. In this vision, Ezekiel prophesied of a time that would come when the glory of the Lord would return to this new temple that he's picturing. God would live among his restored people again. In fact, so much so at the very end of this vision, we're told that the name of the new city that was built, the name is literally, the Lord is there. Right toward the end of this vision, though, he does something, I think, unexpected. But now that you've heard Genesis 2 and Revelation 22, I think you're going to pick on a theme, pick up on a theme really quickly. I'm reading from Ezekiel 47. Uh, The man, and what we find out is there in Ezekiel's vision, there's a a man who's sort of like a vision guide uh, walking Ezekiel around. So the man... uh, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This is a temple that he's already described in incredible detail. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. You're, you should be feeling like a ding going off here. Ding, ding, what? Water? The water was coming out from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate, facing east again. These are all gates he's already described. And the water was trickling from the south side. 
As the man went eastward with a measuring line on his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, about 1,700 feet, and he led me through water that was ankle deep. Splashing, just splashing through. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand and now it was a river. Ding, 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 ding. It was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, oh, hear this. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, it's the Jordan Valley, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Ding, 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 ding. Fishermen will stand alongside the shore from Engedi to Engelheim. There will be places for spreading nets. The Fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes, they will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt, because we need salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month, every month, they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. You catch all that? I know there's a lot going on here, but I just want you to notice. First of all, you hear the river flowing, right? This is a strong image. Emerging from beneath the temple and growing. It's a beautiful narrative device as this guy keeps measuring. The, the, the river is growing up to the point where Ezekiel cannot cross it. And wherever this river goes, it brings life. I mean, it enters the Dead Sea, famous for no life living there at all, filled with so much salt. It enters the Dead Sea and makes it live again. I love the line, where the river flows, everything will live. That is flourishing. Did you also catch the trees? I mean, that's another big metaphor here. Did you catch the trees that were growing alongside the river? Fruit trees with leaves that don't wither and fruit that doesn't fail, bearing fruit every month because of the water from the temple that flows to them, bringing food and healing to all. I mean, that's flourishing again. Just as a side note, I think you've already picked it up, but if you're ever wondering where the Apostle John got his imagery for much of his book, it's from Ezekiel. Ezekiel is his big backdrop. And so you should start with Ezekiel to understand Revelation and probably go on from there, but that's another conversation. But Revelation 22, in this case, is really Ezekiel 47 flowing from Jesus. Well, now we've got another 
biblical touch point for our river flowing theme and how this river flowing leads to flourishing. I hope you're seeing that so far. But keep holding on to this because now, if I can switch metaphors again, we're going to canoe this river home. Remember, this is all so that we can be more biblically rooted in our why. The why of our mission. Why we help people find and follow Jesus. And this biblically rooted image of a river flowing helps us understand how it's all about flourishing. So paddle with me now over to John chapter 7. John is the fourth gospel of Jesus. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And here in John chapter 7, Jesus had just shown up halfway through one of the biggest festivals of God's people. The Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Sukkot. Uh, The Feast of Tabernacles was an annual harvest celebration. lasted for eight days. The people of God would camp out in booths or tents or makeshift shelters as a way of remembering the time they were camping out in the wilderness when God had rescued them out of Egypt. And many Jews still do this today, making up little shelters and tents. You can see them. This festival highlighted God's good gift of the land. It reminded his people that everything they received was a gift from him. Well, following the exile, following the return with the rebuilt temple and the city, and now in the time of Jesus himself, the Feast of Sukkot, or Tabernacles, had also become a way of looking forward in hope to the time when God would tabernacle among them again, dwell among them, return to them as he had before. And once more, what's more, having deeply drunk from Ezekiel's flowing temple river vision, as well as some other water of life prophecies, the Jewish people had incorporated a powerful water drawing ceremony right on the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It went something like this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, priests would proceed down to the pool of Siloam in the city of David, and they would fill a golden pitcher with water from this pool. They would then travel back up to the temple through the water gate, accompanied by the sound of the shofar, and then they would pour this water so that it flowed over the altar, along with wine from another bowl. There's a lot of rich symbolism going on here. And as the water flowed down from the altar, the people would erupt in incredible celebration and pray for life-giving rain to come. Got that? Because here's where it gets real. Hold all of this in your mind, if you can, with the rivers flowing and now the water pouring down from the altar as a way of enacting God's salvation, a way of imaging Ezekiel's vision, as a way of looking forward to God's restoration and the flourishing of his people. Because it's at that exact moment, with the water flowing down, when everyone's erupting in celebration, that Jesus stands up. Jesus had just spent the last 24, 48, 36, 72 hours at this great festival in terrific debate about who he was 
and why he had come. And he'd been getting a ton of pushback. And so now he ups the ante. John 7, 37 reads this way. On the last and greatest day of the festival. So this is the water drawing ceremony. On that last and greatest day, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now, when Jesus said this, he was drawing in Isaiah's great invitation. We heard this already, just the first couple of verses of Isaiah 55, read to us during our uh, singing time. But I want you to hear it again. Isaiah 55 begins like this, Come, all of you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. This is what Jesus is bringing in with one phrase from Isaiah's invitation, this incredible call to come and drink. If you're thirsty, come and drink. Which, by the way, we don't have time to dive into it, but if you follow in Isaiah 55, just this one chapter, he will also take the image of water flowing down a mountain and bringing life. But Jesus goes on after invoking Isaiah in verse 38 of John chapter 7. He says, whoever believes in me or believes into me, trusts in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers of living water. Rivers that bring life. The the, the rivers that we've already seen, front, back, middle, Rivers of living water will flow from within anyone who believes into me, Jesus says. Who trusts in me. You want salvation? Jesus says, come to me. You want freedom? Come to me. You want bounty? Come to me. You want rain? Come to me. You want freedom? Come to me. You want to experience the glory of God returning to live among his people? Come to me. You want to experience a flourishing as God had always intended? Come to me. How's that going to happen? Well, we received this little bit of commentary from John, which helps us as readers understand what Jesus was talking about, even if the people there on that celebration day did not know. John says to us, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And up to that point, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. What we discover in the story, of course, the Holy Spirit comes at the promise of Jesus. Comes, and that river begins to flow from within God's people out to the world. Let's bring this all together now. I know it's a lot catch this, Jesus, on this greatest of festival days, 
taking a ceremony that was designed to invoke celebration for God's salvation, but also hope for his return, hope for the future, hope for flourishing, hope that it'll all be made right. Jesus took it all, and he made it about him. That it's from him that this epic river will flow. That it's from him that the whole healing will occur for the world. That it's from him that all creation will be restored, that dead seas will be fresh, and that God will dwell with his redeemed people once again. Jesus knew how this water-drawing ceremony expressed the hope of Ezekiel 47's river temple image, vision. He also knows how it was enacting Isaiah 12. In Isaiah 12, just a couple verses, God's people would read this, often right here at this ceremony, words that said, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now here's what's crazy and what we often miss. One of the names for this last day of the festival, the day that Jesus stood up and did all this, was Hoshana Rabbah, which means great salvation. You know the meaning of the name Jesus, right? You know the meaning of the name? In Hebrew, it's Yeshua, which we translate in English as Joshua, Jesus. The meaning in Hebrew, of course, is salvation. That's what Jesus means, salvation. That's what Joshua means. That's what Yeshua means. And so, hear this. The Hebrew rendering of Isaiah 12 literally means, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of Jesus. And Jesus stands up at this festival for all to see as the water's flowing down from the altar. Jesus stands up and says, draw salvation here. Come to me, anyone who's thirsty. I'm where the river begins. I'm the source, the headwater from which all life flows. Come to me and drink. Come and drink and live. Come to me and flourish and find out that from within you will be flowing the river of life too. This is the invitation that rings out through the whole story of Scripture, backwards and forwards, and finding its true meaning in Jesus. Come and drink. Come and flourish. The last words of the revelation of John, the revelation of Jesus that John wrote at the end, caps it all off by saying this, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And then, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come so you'll live. Come so you will flourish. Why do we help people find and follow Jesus? Because it is only through Jesus. It is only in Jesus that true flourishing comes. When we drink deep, of this vision that God has for people, that he has for creation, we begin to see more than ever that his desire is for full human and creational flourishing. And that's why he sent Jesus. And that's why 
It's to him we go. It's only through Jesus that we will flourish in our relationship with God, experiencing forgiveness, worshiping in fullness, becoming the human images we were created to be and being filled up with God's love by the Holy Spirit. It's only through Jesus that we'll be in flourishing relationships with each other, being reconciled, living in justice, showing mercy, serving one another as Christ intended in mutual submission. It is only through Jesus that we will begin to experience flourishing relationships in and with the rest of his creation, enjoying the bounty of God's good land, appreciating the goodness that we see, the beauty that we see, also acting as his good stewards, filled by God's spirit and protecting, enjoying, giving life. It's only through Jesus that we can flourish even within our own selves, experiencing a vibrancy and a strength and a wholeness and a life that only comes from Him. That's why we help people find and follow Jesus. We want them to flourish. Now, over the last couple Sundays, I've given a lot of very concrete application. I've even had some of you say to me, my goodness, that's a lot to work on. I've given you practical ways to integrate our mission to help people find and follow Jesus. And truth be told, I don't want to add any more to that today. I actually encourage you to go back to look at some of the key concrete ways that I've encouraged you as we've sought to help people find and follow Jesus. Continue to implement those things. Today, what I wanted to do is take us back into the story so that we could capture again God's vision for flourishing in a way that would fuel our why, in a way that would explain and maybe strengthen that when we're seeking to help people find and follow Jesus, we're not doing it for our benefit. We're doing it so that people will flourish. We help people so people Flourish, and the only source of true flourishing is Jesus Christ. We know He is the source of life. He's the headwaters of this great flowing river. He is the one, and so we compel people to come. Stop drawing water from an empty well. Come and drink from the river of life. Listen, today might be a day Maybe you sat through this fairly long, sort of almost like a Bible study, and you realized, I've never really come and drank. Today is your day. Today is the day where you can say yes to Jesus too. You know, everything we're all about is simply helping people find and follow Jesus so they flourish. And you, it's for you too. Jesus came so that we can have life and life to the full. Another way of saying flourishing. And if you're here with us today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to just lead you in a very simple prayer. Would you do that with me? And for all of us who perhaps already follow Jesus or maybe some of us who aren't quite ready, would you simply pray along? Maybe supporting those of us who are ready to say yes to Jesus? Would you just join me in this simple prayer? Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you today 
because I've tried other things. I've tried to find satisfaction, meaning, life in other sources. Today, I turn away from all those other things and I want to say yes to you. Jesus, I believe in you. I accept that you came for me. That you lived the life I couldn't live. That you died in my place on the cross and you rose again from the dead so that I can flourish. Thank you for dying for me. Forgive me of my sin. All the ways I've tried to save myself or sought for other things to save me. Forgive me and accept me. Thank you for loving me. Would you give me now your Holy Spirit as you promised so that I too would have this river of life flowing from within me. Jesus, today I simply say yes to you. Accepting your love, accepting your forgiveness, accepting your river of life in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now listen, if that was you today, I strongly encourage you to reach out. Would you at least email me? You can reach out at this email, connect at ericksoncovenant.ca. But you may also have a spiritual friend or a partner or someone that's connected already to Erickson Covenant Church. Would you reach out to them and let them know that you prayed that prayer today, that you want to follow Jesus, that you want to flourish in Christ. And we want to join with you on this because we walk this together. We paddle this river together. We want to celebrate what God is doing and help you take those next steps. So please reach out. For all the rest of us, we are going to continue to help people find and follow Jesus, aren't we? And why? Because we believe it is only through Jesus that we can flourish. And flourish we will. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.